So I was actually deployed to Baghdad, Iraq at the time. And I was really super busy and working all night. And, and you were going out on raids, I mean, every night. So the fatigue and stress level was super high. And I got an email from UCLA saying, hey, preliminary acceptance, we'd like to schedule an interview. And so sure enough, I, I did an interview from my little you know, room. It's basically a little room in a trailer. So I'm on the end unit, but we're right next to the airfield. And I'm talking to Kathy and the board and they can hear the helicopters landing. I'm like, hold on. I'll get back to you in a second. Just give me two minutes. So that interview obviously made an impression, um, probably because of the background noise more than anything. Welcome to YMBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. And that was Captain Gary Riles. We'll get back into Gary's story in just a second. But first, let me introduce our pod today. I have two amazing guests joining me, both of whom are, of course, Anderson alums. But they share another commonality. That is, that they are both Navy SEALs. In our conversation, you'll hear how both Gary and Duncan, while pursuing very different paths, also have some very strong similarities. You'll hear how business school is the perfect complement to a military career. And who best to expand on that than a couple of the highest achieving officers in our alumni network. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Duncan. My name is Duncan Smith. I'm a retired Navy SEAL officer, 33 years in the Navy, 32 as a SEAL, and I'm an Anderson graduate from 1992. During your time at Anderson, you had a marketing internship that you were able to leverage into a marketing position with the SEALs. Talk about instant credibility. Can you touch on the positions you held with the SEALs? Two of the roles I was most proud of, one was as chief marketing officer for the SEAL teams, where I was tasked with a presidential mandate to grow our forces. And a second one was as diversity officer for the SEAL teams. And I filled that role kind of as an ancillary duty uh, while I was working at the SEAL headquarters for, for about two years. Duncan, while you were tasked with growing the number of SEALs, you ran an interesting study to identify which candidates had the highest likelihood of completing the program. What'd you find out? What we found was that there are 11 sports that aren't football, basketball, or baseball that create the highest success traits among SEALs. And they include water polo, wrestling, lacrosse, triathlon, and you can kind of get the picture, cross-country, swimming, and so forth. And so what we did on our own was we developed kind of a hit list of sports that we wanted to go after. And we went ahead and developed a whole series of events and activities based on what we'd learned. So as we studied, we learned that the people who were most successful in the SEAL teams were people who had someone in their family or in their sphere, a neighbor, a friend who'd been a SEAL. We also learned that those sports I mentioned earlier that are driven by individual dedication to a team effort were more likely to make it. And there were a number of other factors. So we let Navy Recruiting kind of tune what they were doing on our behalf, but we went very independently with a new organization called the SEAL and SWIC Scout Team. And we went off. I was handed the Navy Parachute Team, which, no surprise, had been largely supporting NFL events and NASCAR events to very little return on our effort. And we started using the Navy Parachute Team, which is made up of SEALs, to jump into things like America's Finest City Water Polo Tournament, where you had 640 high school water polo players come to our hometown. Suddenly, for 15 grand and the cost of a plane, we had an audience of capable young athletes who had an interest in being SEALs. 
We did the same thing with the Ironman. We parachuted into the Ironman in Hawaii. We were part of the NBC coverage. And we just started setting up singles and doubles and triples in terms of high ROI events that put us on the forefront of young athletes' radar screens. We shifted from 18-year-olds who had a dream or wanted to prove something to their high school girlfriend or to their dad to looking at NCAA Division I, II, and three athletes from those targeted sports who would complete college. People who finish their bachelor's degree tend to finish other things. So we really transformed the force. We went from the first time of never having a full class in our history to filling a class in 2007. We continued with our kind of guerrilla marketing effort, applying what I'd learned at UCLA, reaching out to partners where the cost was not great, but the rewards were high. Also, the credibility with our audience was very high. And in year three, after having finished, after having first filled our class, we actually, a year early, completed that growth of 500 SEALs. And I credit a lot of what I learned at Anderson, particularly in marketing strategy class, and what I learned in my summer internship to our success there. What Duncan just described there, I think, is fascinating. Let's unpack what he said for a second. He's basically talking about the characteristics that predict if someone will be a successful SEAL or not. That's a process that every person, every business, really every entity in the world tries to do. We do it in our personal lives when looking for a partner. Investors do it before writing a check by researching a company or founder, looking for hidden signals that others have missed. Companies do it when they're looking to hire someone. The school you went to, the grades you earned, your test scores. And the thing is, none of these data points will determine whether you will be successful or not. But they do tell a story that has worked in the past. So while the SEALs look for someone who has had strong mentors, been a team player in a sport, and completed college, what are the success factors that will show signal in your industry or line of work? Figure them out and then go achieve them. Okay, now Duncan, you credited your experience at a marketing internship with much of your success with this Navy SEAL study. Tell us about that internship. I had worked uh, my summer job while I was between my first and second years at Anderson was at Microsoft. And I was working for a gentleman who had incredible brand management experience at Quaker Oats. And our boss, one tier up, was a woman named Melinda French. Melinda was 26 years old. She'd gone to Duke. She had her MBA. She had her computer science degree. And probably more than anyone, I would equate her to one of our commanding admirals, Admiral Eric Olson, as Solomon. She would listen, take things in. She was essentially a brilliant leader. And after, after she would absorb everything, she would come back in, in about 11 or 12 words synthesize the meeting that just took place and provide guidance that was that was brilliant. So through that experience, I kind of earned a, a better marketing understanding that allowed me to go back for my last year at Anderson, where my concentration was marketing. And all that served me well when I ran my own business, but it was really now serving me well when I was returning to the SEAL teams tasked with this role. They were aware I had an MBA. They knew I had marketing experience. So Melinda French, who later married Bill Gates and became Melinda Gates, really had taught me a great leadership lesson combined with a marketing understanding. And although I was 33 and she was 26, I was definitely on the receive mode learning. Very interesting. I'd love to take it back and learn about the origins of your military career. Did you always want to be in the military and was serving something that ran in your family? You know, when I first considered joining the military, it was not a popular notion. So I Grew up in high school, the Vietnam War was ending, and becoming a member of the military at that point was not looked at with adoration by pretty much anybody. 
as the younger brother to four sisters, all of whom are going to Berkeley, Stanford, Santa Clara, or UC Santa Barbara. It was blasphemy to have a younger brother who wanted to go in the military. But I'd always been pretty much focused on the, um, the notion of adventure. And in high school, I'd been involved heavily in hiking, and I, I played a couple sports. The sport I don't advertise is that I was a tennis player in high school, which is not a real SEAL sport. But I also ran cross country, and I played football. And um, the bottom line is I, I really found my passion in the outdoors. So I was kind of torn between either, you know, essentially the Marine Corps or Peace Corps. Young people want a mission. They want to make a difference. I also was torn by this love for the outdoors. So in addition to applying to our crosstown rival, the University of Southern California, I also applied to a range of schools, Berkeley as well, and Colorado. And Colorado and uh, Humboldt were more along the lines of wanting to possibly be a forest ranger one day. So my sense of purpose was either finding myself in a forest environment as a ranger protecting the environment or as someone with a mission in special operations. I didn't really know that term back then. Most people didn't, but I knew I wanted to be some sort of a, a commando. So did you go straight into the military after college? I graduated college, was still sort of torn, had four sisters saying, hey, don't go in the military. And I thought, well, maybe they're right. And they said, of course we're right. We're your older sisters. You just need adventure. So I had applied earlier for a work permit in New Zealand, got it, and then went down to New Zealand sort of before it was hip. And worked down there for a year, worked as a concrete carpenter in Australia, came back, threw on a necktie, worked in finance for what's now Morgan Stanley in LA and then later San Diego. And when I was 25, that sense of purpose or mission that I mentioned earlier, really wanting to make a difference, I thought, you know, I can, I can become a finance guru and I can help people with their finances later. But really right now, I do think I want to pursue this SEAL thing. So I applied. The day I was accepted, I went in, gave notice. It was about after two and a half years as a stockbroker. Went off to SEAL training, officer candidate school, and then SEAL training, and graduated with class 137 in 1986. All right, that was great background, Duncan. Let's now get back into Gary's story. I'm Captain Gary Riles. I'm a naval officer, a SEAL in the, in the special operations community. I am currently um, at the Joint Special Operations Command, which is a, a, a high-level uh, special operations headquarters. It's directed by a three-star. I'm one of eight directors at the command. I am the director of force development. Sounds like an amazing and intense role, Gary. Now tell me, did you always want to be in the military? I actually thought I would do uh, go into law after undergraduate and had an internship at a, a large law firm in Portland, Oregon. It was probably the best thing I ever did was do a year there and decide that corporate law was not uh, not where I wanted to be. And I started looking at, you know, maybe some federal law enforcement. I was looking for a balance of both mental and physical uh, challenges. And I was looking at uh, FBI and DEA and, you know, looking at some of those kind of things. And then I had a friend whose high school classmate was like, hey, if you're thinking about DEA, you should look at like the Navy SEALs. So sure enough, I looked at it and uh, sounded pretty enticing, looked like a lot of fun and uh, came in. And now I've been in the community 29 years, which is, which is really remarkable to me. Didn't expect that. Wow, Gary, that's a long time. And let me ask you, was it that balance of a mental and physical challenge that attracted you to the SEALs most? Yeah, I think mostly because, you know, you tr let's be honest, undergraduate, you're busy, but you got a lot of time for 
name your passion, you know, club soccer, mountain biking, skiing, ultimate frisbee, whatever. You kind of have a little more time than you realize. And as soon as you get in your first job and they, and they want you to work 60 or 70 hours a week, you're like, hmm. And you see your health declining and you're never skiing and your bike's getting rusty because it's not getting used. And you're like, okay, this isn't, you know, kind of the, the reward balance wasn't there for me. And so I started thinking, well, I, I need a, I need to pivot into a little bit different uh, domain where I'm going to be challenged both physically and, you know, mentally. It's funny how both Duncan and Gary knew deep down that their true calling was the military, but they both had to experience doing something else before they could fully commit. Both Gary and Duncan had to wrestle with what society was telling them that they should be doing. Duncan also had his four strong-willed sisters, but the right path for you is different than it is for anybody else, and that's something that you have to figure out all by yourself. All right, back to Duncan's story. Duncan, how did you learn to listen to that inner voice of yours and not your sister's? It was something I had to kind of learn at a young age how to listen to myself, which I think all young people kind of find their inner voice. It just took me maybe a little bit longer and it confirmed my intuition and honestly never looked back. I mean, having been a SEAL for me really helped define who I am. And in a way, I'm really just as proud of you know, earning my MBA and, and going to Anderson and having that experience, the, the compilation of those things, I was very unique as an Anderson student, having been a SEAL at that time. And when I was on active duty from 9-11 on, I was very unique in having an MBA from a top tier university, which helped me in my role as a SEAL officer. That makes sense that having an MBA helped you stand out in the military. I'd like to hear about your decision to go to Anderson and what your experience was like. I really looked at a long lineage of former SEALs back to the Vietnam era who had chosen UCLA. And I applied after doing time at SEAL Team 1 in Special Operations, SEAL Team 5 Special Operations, and then serving as a training officer at SEAL Team 5. I really looked at the notion of, you know, what the future held for me. And I paid attention to a lot of the SEALs who had gone to Anderson. I was ecstatic to be accepted to UCLA my first time out. And so at that point in time, I tendered my letter of resignation and I transitioned to the reserves. So I still stayed active as a reservist um, for the next decade through my time at UCLA and through my time at Credit Suisse and through my time starting a business and running it, I stayed heavily involved in the SEAL teams as a reservist, which positioned me well for when 9-11 happened. I was recalled back to active duty and spent another 18 years. I think the military reservists is a great analogy to staying ready in the world of business. You keep your skills sharp and mind ready for when an opportunity arises. After business school, Duncan worked in the sales and trading group of Credit Suisse before starting a business of his own. And when 9-11 happened, both Duncan and Gary were called back into active duty. And it was their approach and discipline during this time as reservists that allowed them to be ready and more equipped than they were before. So, Gary, how did 9-11 impact your career? As I was teetering on, on calling it good, uh, 9-11 happened. And of course, that, that changes everyone's kind of sense of commitment to the nation, as I'm sure you'll recall. And so I was like, hey, I've got to do my part. And so, you know, signed up for another cycle, supported the very, very early phases of uh, the incursion into Iraq from a small boat side. I actually left the SEAL team for an intermediate tour at Special Boat Team and then uh, came back to SEAL Team 1, did another deployment to Iraq, 05, 06, which was really kind of as things were falling apart, if you look back statistically, the violence levels peaked in 06. Um, so, so things were getting really 
interesting and challenging. And we had to apply, you know, both a lot of military prowess, but a lot of like, how are we actually solving this problem and a lot of deep thinking on how to how to help the Iraqis solve the problem of the insurgency there. That sounds like a time when you might have been able to tap into additional skills to supplement your deep military training. Gary, can you talk about some of your learnings from business school and what you were thinking when you applied? At the time, I was thinking about it as sort of a catapult, right? To pivot out of, uh, I was I was about 16 or 17 years in the service. So I was thinking, okay, I'll do this. And in three years, I'll hit my 20. It was the first opportunity to really take uh, a, a retirement. So you're fully vested at that point. You can pivot without loss of your retirement benefit. And that's what I was thinking. But, you know, other opportunities kept coming up and, and I didn't, I didn't uh, use it that way. What I will say, the things looking back in retrospect, the value of the MBA was really three things for me. Financial literacy, right? So we operate in a world where the level of dialogue and discussion and finance, whether we're talking about today, it's special purpose acquisition companies or, you know, stock buybacks. Uh, we just, it's a world where it's so much more prevalent than and it was 25 or, or 30 years ago or even a decade ago. Um, so you you gain a tremendous level of financial literacy at UCLA. It's an incredibly uh, rigorous quantitative program, and it really strengthened uh, my skills there. You know, I'll be honest, it's uh, it's pretty mathematically intense. I think it was good. Uh, I did fine, but I, it was more so than I expected. The second, I would say for me, the second overwhelming benefit that I've noticed is the network, right? So you're working with an incredible group of peers. You know, I had CFOs in my class, vice president of Starwood, CFO of this or CEO of this, people who had done startups, cashed out, uh, were looking to start their own VC firms. Uh, just a huge array of, uh, of professional backgrounds and experience. So I got a network out of there that was both super high performing and very diverse compared to my professional network, right? Military is a relatively insular field. We have really strange schedules and we go away for months and it's hard for people to connect with that if you're not part of that community. So you tend to increasingly over time have more and more military kind of uh, social and professional network and less and less diverse. So this was really good about, you know, re-diversifying my network and and uh, and I really appreciated that diversity. So that financial literacy and that diverse network to me translate to what I think is the biggest value proposition of the MBA and that's it's just quite frankly career agility, right? It's it's an incredible degree that gives you wide agility to do, you know, do you want to go do nonprofit? You know, you have all kinds of management. You understand finance. You understand operations, uh, marketing. You can go into really any field and you have instant credibility, especially coming out of a place like UCLA. I love hearing about how you think about the value of business school, Gary. Very precise. Now, back to you, Duncan. I'm interested. Is there an overlap between military training and business school? Huge overlaps. I mean, I went through SEAL training and very intimidating. When you get there, there was a gentleman whose first name is Tom, and I won't say his last name because he he has worked for uh, government organizations at a very, very senior level in a variety of different countries. And 
He was a wrestler in college at the Naval Academy, sixth generation Naval Academy, and, and just looked like some kind of world champion CrossFit guy. Happily, I knew I could crush him on runs. Uh, so a buddy and I from OCS invited him to go for a run the week before our training started. And we were wrong, right? Tom could run like a gazelle. Well, he was just classic. We had an incredibly talented group of people, both officers and enlisted, that you're serving beside and you're training with. And what I realized is, hey, I was not as smart as the smartest guy there. I was not as fit as the fittest guy there. But I developed what a classmate of Gary Riles, Michael Crook, who was a classmate of Gary's back in, I think it was class 89, who terms that camaraderie, that team ability from the SEAL teams as his secret sauce. I would agree with Mike Crook that there's a secret sauce that comes from working with people. And part of it is born of a self-awareness. Part of it is, a, is born out of a uh, mental toughness that I would probably translate as resilience, knowing that today is a day, there's more days to follow, focus on what's in front of you. And so to answer your question about any kind of crossover between SEAL training and grad school, I was very successful in SEAL training. I, I won our classes combat conditioning course. My boat crew won Hell Week. We were the only boat crew to not lose anyone during Hell Week. My swim buddy and I were the only two who started SEAL training and finished SEAL training together. Coincidentally, Mike Moran and I were the uh, last two guys to finally hang up our swim fins, both after careers well beyond 30 years. So how that translated to UCLA, once again, you know, five years after starting SEAL training, I'm looking around at all these people who've gone to Columbia and Harvard and NYU and UCLA undergrad and Stanford, and I'm thinking, okay, obviously I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And then all you take is your first week in econ at UCLA, and you quickly realize that these guys from Chile really know Excel and really know calculus, and so do these three people who are analysts. And, and it was just drinking from a fire hose and really learning from my peers, and what I did was I retreated back to kind of my SEAL precepts of, hey, recognize where your strengths are, recognize where your weaknesses are, um, pair up with good people and, and learn from them. Tina Kopcha, who was a classmate of mine over the summer orientation program, I kind of partnered with her. She'd worked for a public accounting firm and she was a, a fantastic person bringing me up the curve in terms of the computer use and other things. So at Anderson, what I was able to do was really learn those things that I was absolutely, you know, fascinated by. I discovered what they were, first of all, because in the SEAL teams, you're not really exposed the way someone who might have been an analyst for uh, an accounting firm or a consulting firm would be or Wall Street. And then, and then I really bonded with a lot of my classmates and learned as much outside the classroom as I did inside the classroom. And you know what they say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You also touch on a very important point there, Duncan. That is, you learn as much outside of the classroom as you do in. The business school experience is built around those outside the classroom interactions. I want to continue with this train of thought. As you learn from your peers, what do you think you brought to your fellow classmates? A lot of these fellow classmates were brilliant, but didn't have much team experience in their lives, meaning there was a void in terms of leadership that some people had approached me on and, and sort of said, hey, Duncan, you know, how would you approach this? What did you do here? And so found in a good way that there were some areas where I had an expertise that I was able to share with my classmates. And specifically, that was kind of on the leadership side, the human resources side. Very cool. 
I'm sure your fellow classmates appreciated the team experience that you were able to impart to them. Now, Gary, you were given the honor of being the commencement speaker at your graduation. Can you touch on that and expand on the impression that you left on your classmates that would motivate them to nominate you for that? So yeah, I got to be the the commencement speaker. And you know, the the real amazing thing was my teachers were my professors, our professors for that cohort were absolutely fantastic. But I will tell you, I learned as much from my classmates as I did from the professors. You know, I a guy would sit next to you and he's like, well, when I was at so-and-so, this is the second company I took public. And, you know, we we offered too many initial shares and then the initial investors didn't want to dilute their ownership and we couldn't ever offer any. So our ability to raise money through through equity issues was like completely, you know, people were giving like these incredible firsthand experience. You know, like I'd have had to read and live in this industry two or three years to learn that. So, uh, really incredible. So, I, you know, I mean, the crux of, of my comments were were really, as I found in my life, it is the team that creates such a more powerful solution than the sum of the parts. It's the team working together and, uh, and the folks you work with and the solutions that we were, you know, were developing for the case studies. Uh, it, it was an incredible opportunity to to showcase such an uh, array of talents. Gary, I love the aspect of teams coming together. Is that something you learned with your time in the SEALs? And were you able to show some of those leadership skills during business school? I think that that was kind of one of the things I gave to the class. Like, hey, it's not just about us. It's about how do we work together? You know, really being an accelerant for that kind of team mindset to just create, you know, I think it's normal in, in organizations, like we tend to focus on our performance, but in the SEAL teams, we really assess folks for, for two things. One is performance or competence. The other is what we call team ability, right? And it's a it's your measure of your ability to rapidly integrate and support or lead in different teams. So in the training program, you might be in one team in the morning, go to lunch and be assigned to another team. In the morning, you might be the leader. In the afternoon team, you might be the junior person. In, in both environments, you have to support some kind of problem resolution, whether it's getting a team over an obstacle or whatever it is. But that, that team ability to rapidly look for problems, be hierarchy agnostic as needed, be able to rise to be a leader and then support another leader, right? Good followership, um, and, you know, we have a variety of mechanisms. Peer reviews is one of the things they use to kind of assess team ability. But, you know, that's, that's I think, was my message is like, hey, we are stronger as a team than any of us individually. We can do more than the sum of our parts. What's so interesting to me here in listening to these two stories is how much they have in common. I think that's a testament to the recruiting and training of the Navy SEALs. But also it's kind of what business school is all about bringing together top performers from all different industries and disciplines, then melting that pot of high achievers together and creating a unit, to borrow a military term, that is greater than the sum of its parts, a business school term. Duncan, do you have any closing advice for fellow military professionals interested in getting an MBA? For those young people who are thinking about getting their MBA and, and hitting it hard in one of the more competitive arenas, consider the reserves. 
but recognize it's going to be pretty tough. And um, I'm glad I did it, but it made it very, very difficult at times. I also think that there are a lot of military people who are torn between um, executive programs, fully employed programs, and full-time. An Anderson guy who graduated in 84 once shared with me before I attended UCLA, business school is about concepts, contacts, and cocktails. And that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But you learn as much from your peers, I think, as you do in the classroom, especially the nuanced elements of what industries are like and what roles are like. So what did we learn today? We learned about the importance of teamwork and learning as much as you possibly can from your coworkers and classmates. But it's not a one-way street. What value do you bring to the table? Both Gary and Duncan identified their secret sauce in their team-building abilities, and they used those skills to contribute to their teams in business school. We also learned about the importance of sticking with your gut and following your passion, which can be a really hard thing to do especially as your family and friends try to steer you in a different direction. Both Duncan and Gary had a love for the outdoors and a desire to serve. Although they didn't know they would end up in the SEALs, it was their steadfast dedication that eventually led them to the positions they're in today. Neither Gary nor Duncan had a direct path. Gary worked at a law firm, Duncan in finance, and it was these detours that solidified their conviction for their true purpose in life. And lastly, the concept of staying ready, keeping your tools sharp, this has enormous implications for your career, regardless of your discipline. If you stay ready, you won't have to get ready. You never know when an opportunity is going to rise. But if you keep your skills sharp and continue to improve your shortcomings, you will be setting yourself up for future success. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Many great stories to come this season. So stay with us and be sure to follow Anderson on social media at UCLA Anderson.